You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Dr. Ashley Maltz, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, hey, Doc, we have something a little bit different today. We don't have a panel. Instead, we have an individual guest who's going to share her experience with integrative medicine and what is that and talk through the ins and outs of the finances of what that means. So, we're going to jump right into the conversation after Ashley gives a quick introduction. Hi, guys. I am Dr. Ashley Maltz, an integrative medicine physician in Austin, Texas. I have completed an internal medicine residency um, at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas, and went on to do a fellowship in integrative medicine, also completing the Andrew Weil two-year distance fellowship in integrative medicine. So let's begin at the beginning. You were born the child of two immigrants, is that right? Yes. My parents are, actually my entire family is from South Africa, and my dad immigrated to Houston to complete optometry school, and then the whole family followed. But I was the first American born on U.S. soil. And what I've noticed, you know, I, I married an Iranian woman, and we always kind of laugh a little bit because her parents brought with them some traditions that are very different than Western medicine. For instance, when we talk about diseases, they often talk about when people get sick, they have hot and cold diseases. So if you have a hot disease, then you have to eat or consume cold food. Did your parents bring with them any non-traditional or at least non-Western medical ideas with them when they came to the U.S.? Not so much. South Africa itself has a very westernized culture in general. But along with that, so we're of Jewish descent and from Eastern Europe, a lot of the neuroses and, you know, keeping yourself healthy and well and living with constant questioning of what is right and what is wrong, that is definitely translated down into my personality and my childhood. And tell me a little bit about your ideas of service. Uh, did you volunteer a lot as a kid? Yeah, I guess naturally I gravitated towards helping others. 
even my extended family is very service oriented. I have an aunt who's a nurse, a cousin who's an occupational therapist in brain injury and spinal cord injury. My cousin is a social worker in a hospital systems. We would just all get around, you know, each other and talk shop, kind of like medicine and, you know, how to really help others. And I grew up going with my mom to volunteer with different organizations. So it was a nice introduction. I think myself, I always knew I wanted to do something big in the world and really help others on a massive scale. I'm still figuring out how to do that. But medicine was kind of a route for me to in order to do that. And do you remember how old you were when you first started thinking about becoming a doctor? It was probably high school. I loved my chemistry teacher and my algebra teacher and calculus and pre-cal and calculus. And I saw that I could actually apply myself and really get great results. Logic, I enjoyed the whole puzzle, figuring out the puzzle of the chemistry and, you know, logic and reasoning. And it just became very much exciting, positive thing in my life. So I just kept going with it and thought, hey, well, look, I can do this. So why not explore the possibility of going to medical school. And in fact, actually, I was going to become an optometrist like my dad and just work with him. But he encouraged me, you know, a lot of his friends are physicians, and they have financially have done much better than he has. And so he encouraged me to keep going and just push myself more. So that's what I did. And so when I hear people talk about integrative medicine, a lot of times I hear them talk about the root cause of disease, and I hear them mention things like whole person care. Was any of this on your radar before you went to medical school? Because I've noticed that not everyone has that such a holistic view of medicine when they first get to medical school. Is that something that you were interested in even before you started your training? I love that question because yes, it was. I had some concept that I wanted to be a physician that was not on a treadmill prescribing pills. I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know it even existed. I had a very different concept of what I was gonna do. I actually studied psychology in college, in undergrad at UT, University of Texas here in Austin, and I was fascinated by it. Just, you know, a lot of it was for my own self-healing, growing up with a, you know, a lot of anxiety and self-esteem issues. And, you know, I think that's rampant in our society. But I loved just learning about the mind and the body and how they, and so at the same time, I was also doing vertebrate physiology and just learning how the parasympathetic system and nervous system and sympathetic and how it everything kind of goes together. And yeah, so I knew there was something else. I also helped heal myself from severe anxiety, debilitating anxiety in college with yoga, breath work, nutrition, exercise. So those were all very big influences in my life at that point. So that's interesting because going into medical school, I assume you felt that things like yoga and nutrition and that kind of whole body concept would be part and parcel of what you learned. Were you surprised when that didn't seem to be the main line of teaching? No, you know, I knew. I remember writing a personal statement to my vertebrate physiology teacher to get a letter of recommendation. So she had to write what you thought your life would be like in 10 years or, you know, in the future as a physician before she would write this letter for you. And I remember writing, 
I plan to be at the hospital in the mornings and, you know, going to clinic and then rushing my kids out to wherever they needed to be and this really hectic, busy life. I can play that role. That's not what I want long term, but I know what traditional medicine and Western, you know, what's taught. And I know that that isn't what I necessarily want to practice or do. And I knew this intuitively, I, I think, because I grew up around so many physicians and was treated. South African doctors are just, well, back in the day, amazing, incredible diagnosticians. Some of the best of the best were brought to America because there was a physician shortage. So I grew up around these brilliant minds and yet wanting to explore this whole other realm that I knew worked for me and could work for other people. So it sounds like going into medical school, you had this dichotomy, this mm -hmm. traditional medical upbringing surrounded by medical practitioners. But then on the other side, you had your own healing, which you had experienced. How did it feel walking into medical school with both of these sides of you? Did it feel conflicting or did it feel natural? I think I've lived in that my whole life. I have been in both worlds. So growing up, I didn't know any other way. You know, I didn't know there was this whole holistic world. I didn't know what acupuncture was. I mean, you know, I could imagine. I didn't know there was a naturopathic school until college when a friend chose to go that route. We used to study pre-med together. I mean, should, we were studying the same stuff. So it wasn't like a big, I didn't know you could be a physician assistant or a, a nurse practitioner. I just, you could only see what you're presented, right? But I knew that a part of me was not being expressed fully. And I knew that I wanted to travel the world and learn different modalities and ways of being in the world and not necessarily just medicine, but like just a way to live in a more natural, intuitive way. I can't quite describe it. The way I say it is I knew, so I, I ended up doing a residency that was a combined internal and preventive medicine. The preventive medicine finally put a label on what I was feeling. It turned out to not be what I want to do, which is epidemiology and public health and all those things that are wonderful, but not what feeds my soul. It was just a natural unraveling, a natural progression. You know, I also remember seeing my classmates in med school and what they were eating and how shocked I was that people ate fast food for every meal. I had never seen that before. My friends in college, yeah, we liked our binges and our junk food, and but we were all female, I guess. So everyone's focused on looking good and being thin and working out. And, you know, it just was like a natural. So eventually it just unraveled and Fortunately, I had a great mentor or someone can speak to my second year med school class who does practices integrative medicine at the university and he's an academic and we kind of put me on my path in that way. So let's talk about those first two years a little bit. Did you find that your fellow classmates had any of these similar interests as you did? And go further after that, talk a little bit about how exactly you met this mentor. Yeah, no, they did not have the same interests as me. I mean, some did, but a lot of people worked out. We all lived on an island. We could see who was at the gym. We shared a gym. It was awesome. Med school was a wonderful time for me. It was probably one of my favorite times of life. The most brilliant, loving people I've ever met, but we all lived on this island of 60,000 people. So 
we shared a gym, we shared grocery stores, you know, you would run into faculty and other classmates everywhere. And, you know, at the gym, it was social hour, it was fun. But the nutritional part, I was just shocked by and the way people just kept going and never stopped studying or learning or didn't take time for themselves. That just blew my mind. So I met Dr. Serpina when he came to speak to our class in second year. Um, I can't remember exactly if it was the beginning of the year or the end. And some of my classmates were sleeping through it. Others were rolling their eyes and laughing. And one of my closest friends was doing that because he wanted to be a cardiologist and thought all of this stuff was BS. And I was bright-eyed and perked and ready to just full of energy and excited about it. So I just either emailed him or went to meet him and I set up a rotation with him for my, you know, as an elective of my third year. And it was great. And then, you know, there were other electives. Then I ended up doing the fellowship that he connected me with. And it was a journey. So why do you think there's so much resistance so early on in medical school? Why were the kids falling asleep and yawning or cracking jokes? Do we have an answer for it? I think it's cultural. Keep in mind, this was over 10 years ago. So things have definitely changed. I have been on faculty at you know, medical schools that have integrative medicine built in, or at least some nutrition or some mind-body or you know, wellness, whatever you want to call it. But over 10 years ago, we were still in a very, it was still new. It's still, it wasn't as out there as it is now and in the vernacular. So we're still all learning. And I think people are coming to see how stress, chronic stress and lack of nutrition and, you know, not exercising are taking tolls on on our health and wellness. So I think not only are we wanting to learn it for ourselves, we're learning, you know, med students now, they reach out to me. I don't have to go to them. You know, they want to learn this because of their own mind, body and connection. So the first two years of medical school are traditionally much more classroom based, but the third and fourth year of of medical school and residency obviously are much more clinical. Did you feel that attitudes changed during your clinical years towards integrative medicine? Was it more or less accepted or all the same? Pretty much the same. I mean, when I went off to do my electives that I handpicked in integrative medicine, it was great. So I would learn from where there was, there were a few faculty at UTMB who practiced integrative medicine. So they were part of the family medicine department and it was great. So I could learn a little bit about homeopathy. I I learned some medical acupuncture. I learned nutrition and mind body and herbs and, you know, all these things, you know, on a very superficial level, but at least I knew this existed and I could go out into the world and learn more. It was just like a seed that's planted. And at some point, you decided to do a residency in internal medicine and preventative medicine. And at that time, you felt that preventative medicine and integrative medicine were complementary? Not necessarily. I really was into the public health thing. I wanted to get my master's in public health. I was the class president or president of my American Medical Student Association, AMSA, and they were very into policy and, you know, influencing legislation and the health of Americans in general. So I was kind of on that track where I thought I could have a bigger impact by, you know, working for either government or health policy or some, some sort of, I didn't really know, but I 
stayed at my university where they gave me, it felt like they gave it to me, like, here's a four-year program. You can get your MPH and, you know, your residency and do all these things. You could be double board certified and it just was the right path for me. I also didn't want to go to a super malignant program. So I knew, and I'd already rotated through the internal medicine department at UTMB and knew a lot of people. So it just was a good fit in that way. Just for the audience members, we'll say MPH is Masters of Public Health. You followed this up by going to an integrative medicine program to actually do a fellowship. Now, I assume that was very different than what you did in residency. Oh, yeah. Completely different. So I was with family physicians. So coming out of the hospital, I had never really practiced primary care other than diabetes and hypertension and hyperlipidemia. And this actually, the program, I got to do some of that like health work in a way, a federally qualified health center in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So my, my program was in Stamford, Connecticut, outside of the ACGME, which is all the accrediting organization for residencies, postgraduate education in uh, medicine. But it was started by a group of physicians at a hospital, Stanford Hospital, who were practicing this every day. And fortunately, the hospital supported it. The patients have amazing results. And it's still going. It's an insurance-based practice, which is probably one of a few in the nation that actually is sustainable. So I learned a lot in that program. So we've been leading this conversation up here a little bit about your history to kind of lead up to the big question. So what is integrative medicine? What is this that you learned during this fellowship? So integrative medicine is a system of medicine that takes into account the entire person. Another way to say that is holistic medicine, but they have different connotations. So integrative medicine takes in, it's evidence-based using Western-based medicine, what we call Western, which is hospitals, medications, surgery, and integrating, quote unquote, other modalities that are evidence-based, such as medical acupuncture, such as lifestyle counseling and health coaching. And, you know, it means many different things to many different people. I've seen clinics in private practice of chiropractors who call them integrative medicine because they have a physical therapist on staff. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it is. You're integrating two modalities. It's not the same kind of integrative medicine that I practice. You know, it has a very different connotation for different people. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of evidence. I know the traditional Western view is that traditional medicine is much more evidence-based than some of these integrative modalities. Mm -hmm. Is that the case or do we have it wrong? So I would argue that there are different levels of evidence. So yes, if you can study 100,000 people and have randomized arm and a placebo arm and, you know, yes, that's the gold standard in America and the Western medicine world. But I feel like natural therapies, they don't get studied. They're not lucrative. You can't cash out on fruits and vegetables. And like, there's no one to say, hey, I'm going to make a, the pharmaceutical companies, they're investing in actual molecular you know, pills and immunotherapies and things like that, that they believe are going to make money. You go back down to look at omega-3s. They were pharmaceuticalized if I can say that, for cardiovascular health or for hypertriglyceridemia, elevated triglycerides. So they're not going to be like this huge moneymaker. So a lot of people don't study them. 
Also, these are techniques from like 5,000 years ago, such as acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, or you mentioned hot and cold that goes along with um, like there's Ayurveda, which is from India, but I'm sure Persian medicine has their own version of that, you know, cultural folk medicine that is extremely individualized. So like by pulse or tongue or the patient's symptoms, same thing with homeopathy. You can't study that in a giant study that is like for the masses. It's just not the same. You won't get the same quality of evidence, you know? So I like to individualize my thought processes. I think medicine as a whole is great, but I think we've also kind of sold out to this idea and this religious fanaticism about evidence-based. I do believe that. You can't validate things like feelings, a subjective feeling in a body. You just can't other than, you know, asking a survey, you know, so, and those are going to be skewed and biased. We can't say everything is going to be placebo-based, RCT, randomized controlled trials, and they take a lot of money, they take a lot of time, you know, so it's a controversial area. Is it fair to say that traditional medicine, unfortunately, is somewhat driven by monetization, whereas integrative medicine may have less of that effect? You know, I think both are, to be honest, but I think what integrative medicine is going for is more soft feeling. Like it's, it's a subjective, like, do you have more energy? Yes. Are you sleeping better? Yes. Who's studying that? What pharmaceutical company is studying that? And they're the ones with the funding. I mean, that's it. There are supplement companies that want to cash in, trust me. And, you know, we have to be skeptical of them too. Like we have to be. But to say like NIH funded studies or, you know, large scale CDC studies are going to look at one nutrient and also just basing things on one nutrient is not the whole picture. You can't say take, you know, we need more vitamin C and you can make it into a pill and then think it's going to cure everything. That's not reality. That's not how the body works. The body works on a system. It wants all the nutrients all at the same time and at varying times throughout the day in different doses in different forms. So, you know, until someone can unlock that, I like to just go back down to the basics. Are you eating well? Does your digestion work to absorb what you're eating? Are you sleeping well? Do you have loving relationships? Is your stress in check? You know, are you moving your body in some form? You know, those are the basic tenets of being a human and being healthy and well. You know, delving deeper, yeah, we can go deeper. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. 
Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. And help me understand too, part of the problem is that there's so many different terms used. We've talked about integrative and holistic medicine, but people use the term alternative medicine. I've also heard the term functional medicine. Can you talk a little bit about alternative medicine and functional medicine? Are they correct terms? Should we be using them? Yeah, so there are quite a few. So when I was first starting out, the two terms were complementary and alternative. So complementary is anything, a modality that complements our Western-based medicine. So having a massage therapist or for musculoskeletal pain, that would be complementary within your clinic, right? Alternative is actually a more pejorative derogatory term for someone like me being so that it means it's the opposite, like it's not including any Western-based, you know, allopathic medicine. It's going to Mexico and seeking alternative care for whatever ailment. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's a different can of worms. It's outside the allopathic model. And then functional medicine. So the way I like to describe it is integrative medicine is this umbrella term and catch-all phrase. Functional medicine is a form of integrative medicine, I would say, because it's actually taken from naturopathic school and just now being taught to physicians, chiropractors, to really anyone. Health coaches can practice functional medicine. It does start with the gut and the immune system in the gut and healing that. And I do practice some of that. You know, I'm a fusion. I take it from whatever I feel has helped and worked. And, you know, we all gravitate towards specific modalities. So it's another system. Just for the audience, is there a simple definition of functional medicine? 
I would say root cause medicine, getting down to the lowest common denominator of what's causing illness. So instead of symptom-based medicine, like fixing the symptoms, which is what allopathic medicine tends to do. Yeah. And you're using the term allopathic medicine pretty much to describe kind of traditional Western medicine practice by a doctor. Right. By a medical doctor. There's so many iterations that, you know, I've run into. So I don't say traditional medicine because that to me connotes actually what your wife's parents learned. You know, that's like folk medicine, traditional. So yeah, it's all semantics. So let's talk a little bit about what your practice looks like today. You mentioned that you practice a kind of fusion. Can you give us more details? What are the kind of main principles that you follow? It's a very personalized practice. Some people call it concierge, but it's not. It's actually a consultant-based. I do some primary care, but it's mostly consultation. And patients come to me. They find me generally online or through word of mouth or referral. And I see maybe on a busy day, five patients a day. You know, I spend a lot of time with them and really get down to the nitty gritty, their motivations, any psychological barriers or traumas that they're harboring, things like that. So I have a question. How does that charge? Because I think I have a similar service here where I live that I have been considering. And I think their deal is that they charge, I think it's like $1,000 for a year to be kind of a part of the member. And then each visit, there's some like prescribed payment plan. Is that something similar? Or are we doing something different things? So there are many different models. There is the direct primary care model, which is a monthly membership fee and patients spread it out throughout the year. They get access whenever they need it, 24-7 call. Some would call that, it's like a modified concierge practice. The practice you're describing, if they take insurance, it's more of a concierge. Yeah. Yeah. And there are different uh, franchises, you could call them, Mm. to help doctors do that. MDVIP, and then there's some others. So I don't bill insurance. I don't take any insurance. In fact, I find insurance is a hindrance to medical practice. I find that you have to hire someone just to do the billing side and to just get paid after 12, 14 years of education and training. I find that that to be ethical issue for me. I also don't want that third party in the room with me making decisions for my patients. So deciding which medication they approve and which labs they approve. That being said, I do try to play by the rules so that my patients get things covered. <laughs> you know, it's like this game we have to play. Codes can you use for, to get the labs covered so your patient doesn't have an exorbitant fee? And then knowing that they could go down the road to a freestanding lab place and pay cash and it's half the price. So there's a lot of investigation that goes into it and a lot of, you know, liberation, to be honest. When I wrote my first note, office note, like when you're taking, you know, so normally you have to do all these, jump through all these hoops through insurance. And that's what I've, I've been practicing under for at least eight years. And I finally wrote a note where I didn't have to include all the BS that the insurance company wanted me to include just to get paid for my time that I already put in. And it was like, it was so liberating. So let's talk about that a little bit. Most people who go to holistic or integrative practitioners, does insurance pay for any of it or is it almost all out of pocket for people who pursue this type of healthcare? I would say the majority are cash. It's really hard to find a practice where you can spend 
an hour with a patient and get paid what you, you know, something to keep your doors open. Most docs who take insurance have to see four patients an hour on average just to pay the bills, you know, and, and maybe take home a paycheck. I personally do not want to be on a treadmill all day seeing hundreds of people, you know, and just, I want to go deep and really get down to the root causes of and root issues that are happening in people's lives and explore their motivations and why they treat their body the way they do. So for me, it was a no-brainer. I mean, I, I learned an insurance model in my fellowship and I was continuing that and it was working, but I eventually was just exhausted and decided to go out on my own and charge cash. We do take like health savings accounts, FSAs, uh, those types of things, and people can reimburse to their insurer or submit to the insurance for reimbursement. It's typically not covered out of network, unfortunately, which does, makes no sense. So what types of people who tend to come into your clinic, and I would even broaden it out to integrative clinics in general, do you see people from the lower socioeconomic class? I would imagine that paying in cash would be a little bit of a hindrance to them. That is something I have struggled with myself, given my love of public health and people in general and wanting to help those who need it the most. We are legally not allowed to take cash from Medicaid patients. So anyone on Medicaid or Medicare for covered services. So I cannot see a 65 plus year old for an office visit as a physician, but I can see them for medical acupuncture because Medicare doesn't cover acupuncture. You know, and those are two huge populations that need what I'm offering not lost on me. I do give back to the community in other ways in order to compensate for that. However, the majority of my patients, I'd say, are either uninsured, like young, they have no insurance, or they their deductible is so high anyway, they're going to pay out of pocket. Or, you know, the opposite end, like very wealthy, it doesn't matter to them. They want the top of the top care, and they want to pay, they're okay with paying for it. There's a lot of people in the middle. I offer payment plans. I discount services when needed. You know, I really try to make it doable for people. I try to do a lot virtually so that I don't have to, you know, just through messaging and not. But then again, you know, it strains me as a human trying to make a living. So it's this constant balance. I've been told multiple times your prices are too low. You need to up your charges. You need to charge for all these things that you're doing. And, you know, that's coming, but... That's why I like the membership model. I think it is a better way because it just kind of includes that extra time component. It's a recurring payment. So, you know, it's like a gym membership. When you don't show up to the gym, they're still making money. And when you're a physician and you're never off the clock, you know, refills keep happening. People need their refills. They need letters written for this, that, and the other. You know, I still do a lot of the primary care work, but I just don't have that extra component of the insurance and them looming over me. So let's talk a little bit about integrative medicine and optimization. I know a lot of people in the financial independence community are really trying to optimize their health. And one thing that they're finding is that traditional medicine just doesn't seem to do it for them. Talk a little bit about how integrative or holistic medicine fits with the financially savvy consumer who's trying to get the most out of their healthcare dollar. Is that a place we should be looking to integrative health? Absolutely. I think I saw a friend post on Facebook. He was at an investment investors meeting somewhere and it said the number one industry right now for future investment is functional medicine. 
you know, let's just all say integrative and holistic slash wellness. You know, we are nothing without our bodies, right? And our minds. If we're not healthy and, or at least not in illness states, we can't really work. You know, I have patients who can't work because they're so ill. So optimizing your health and wellness and longevity and productivity is a win-win for everyone, right? For yourself, for your loved ones, for the country, if you want to, your productivity, your creativity. You know, we do need to be focusing more. You know, in med school, we're given what, 12 to 16 hours of nutrition. And it's really just how is a protein broken down in our body? How is a carbohydrate broken down and utilized for fuel? It's not, this is how to help someone eat well and give them meal plans. We're not taught, even now motivational interviewing is taught in med school, but you know, that wasn't taught. Physical activity isn't taught, like exercise. I mean, it's, these are just basic components of health and wellness. The importance of sleep, the importance of rest, the importance of loving relationships, all those things. People are coming around to the, the fact that they don't want to be on pills. Pills do not make them feel good. In fact, many pills, medications deplete nutrients and they want alternatives. So I would say this is a consumer-driven industry more than anything. And you're either on the bus or you're not. And that's cool, but I'm excited about it. Let's talk a little bit about return on investment, because I think in our community, we tend to look at things we pay for based on return on investment. So it seems that if you are interested in integrative holistic medicine, you're going to have to put a little bit of cash up front. So the argument would be that your return on investment would be greater, though, because maybe long term you'll spend less on health care and pills, etc. Does that hold water for you? Is that a good argument for the financial independence community? I do think it is. If you can save yourself from a cardiac cath, which is $100,000 with the hospital stay and all the actual procedure, you know, putting in $50,000, you still take away 50000 right? So upfront, yeah. I mean, you're learning new habits, new behaviors, new ways of being that prevent illness later. I wish we could figure out the holy grail of preventing cancer because that would just be a goldmine of savings for the community and for people. There's an article, I think number one cause of bankruptcy now is a cancer diagnosis or just medical debt. You know, people are, they have to sell everything, their life savings just to pay for cancer treatment or some rare illness treatment. And we are learning more and more. So we know more and more, we can make more diagnoses and more treatments, but how are people going to pay for that? You know, they can't work when they're in treatment. So I really believe in health and wellness and really learning your body, learning your signals. You know, if you're overdoing your stress, I know people who've passed away just from ignoring their body signals, their heart, their chest pains. And yeah, they ate right and exercised, but there was other things going on. So I think everyone should have a wellness or holistic physician or health coach or someone in their life, even a, a significant other that just guides them and can say, hey, you know, maybe you should not work 18 hours a day and rest more. I want to take some of your examples and just draw them out a little further. So we talked about, you know, avoiding the cardiac catheterization, right? So avoiding the heart attacks and the artery blockages. And we talked a little bit about avoiding the cancers. Again, I think especially a lot of people in the financial community are more towards the brass tax. So what they're going to say to you is they're going to say, 
okay, I can't get that by going to my regular doctor. I'm trying to build on the story too of kind of what integrative and holistic medicine adds in because I think the one tripping point, at least in this community is, yeah, I've got to put some money up front. I mean, maybe not you, but some holistic doctors suggest blood tests that aren't covered. Certainly there's some membership fees, et cetera. So the idea is how, or I wouldn't go as far as saying is there evidence, but how does that add to traditional medicine such that hopefully it will keep us from having those type of events or at least decrease the risk of it? I still think we're in the baby stages of figuring that all out and how it plays out. I'd like to see more financial studies done to show return on investment. I'm pretty sure Cleveland Clinic is doing some with their functional medicine center, but it's going to take years. They're only a couple years open. So I don't have the answers for that. My intuition and my hunch is you either put your money in now or you put it in later, you know, with medications and hospital stays and, and you can choose if that's what you want to do. That's fine. That's there for you. No judgment on my end. But to me, that's not an optimal way to live in the world. And feeling ill and sick and tired all the time is just not optimal. It almost goes back to that idea of preventative medicine, which originally you thought you were getting into when you started your residency program, but actually you ended up studying more integrative to fulfill that need of getting at the problem before it became a problem, so to speak. Right. Similar modalities or lines of thinking for colonoscopies and mammograms. And, you know, we're trying to catch it early to intervene early. What if we started that process like in childhood with proper nutrition and exercise and mind, you know, teaching kids mindfulness to not harbor anger and resentment and anxiety? I wish I had that as a kid. And I want to add in to make sure the audience understands, you're not advocating not doing the colonoscopies and not doing some of the more quote unquote traditional things that we learn in Western medicine. You're talking about in addition to or finding some other areas to spend your Absolutely. I believe it would reduce our healthcare costs tremendously, given that 80% of healthcare illnesses are due to lifestyle. That's proven. I mean, that's not my, my numbers. I didn't make that up. And when you say, you know, reduce our healthcare costs, you're not only talking about us as a system, but also us as individuals, that mm-hmm. individuals may find long-term that if they pay more attention to some of these other issues that aren't covered by more westernized medicine, that mm-hmm. they may find that their healthcare costs are not as high to it. Is that a safe thing I mean, to say? I would hope that's the truth. I can't claim. I mean, everybody's different and genetics play a role in early childhood. So yeah. But yes, I would hope it extrapolates to the individual's finances. So I want to put you on the spot just a touch. Can you give us some patient stories of how people have gone through traditional medicine and not gotten what they need and they've come to you and what kind of things have helped them? Do you have a story or two in mind that you could tell? Let's see. So I've worked with a lot of chronic pain patients over the years, given that I have training in medical acupuncture and trigger point injections. And I have been able to help some wean off of opioids, wean off of, you know, uh, other medications, um, one off of trazodone. But I really enjoy that. It's fun. Um, you know, in med school and residency, I used to hate seeing that back pain person on my schedule. I think, and everyone, all of my co-residents and med students, we were all like, oh, back pain, what am I going to do? I can't do anything about it. 
And then now I'm like, send them to me, send them to me. And when I was working in the federally qualified health center, one patient, I treated them for like two sessions and they, with trigger point injections, which is just a needle going into the muscle, allowing the body self-healing to turn on and breaking up the muscle fibers. And I inject a little bit of lidocaine to just kind of icing on the cake, which lidocaine is a numbing medication for those in the audience. And they came back and said, hey, I'm going to go back to school now. I feel like I can function. I went swimming, you know, like I'm physically active now. Like think what that would do for our healthcare system if all doctors and whoever else had these tools that could really decrease people's pain, increase their functioning, get them back to work or school. It's great. Um, I also have patients who come to me, a lot of digestive illnesses like IBS and so we work with the, de- the gut quite a bit. That's where the functional medicine training comes in. And just, you know, getting them off of PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, which we know have long-term consequences. Short-term, fine, but, you know, long-term, we don't want them on forever. And just having another look, like sometimes it's as simple as, why are you on so many medications? And let's get you, you know, or even why are you on so many supplements? Let's get you optimized in that realm. Uh, decrease some of the pill burden, polypharmacy, as we call it. Is it safe to say that often people come to your doors after they feel like they've had no success with the traditional venues they go to? They've gone to the primary care doctor, they've gone to specialists and can't seem to have their problem taken care of? Yeah, I would say that is a driving factor to come see me. Another is that they feel like they were a lot of people hold trauma in the medical system. Like they feel not heard, not seen. They feel even have a negative, they had a really bad experience and they want a completely different type of medicine. Most people are really looking for validation. They have the answers. Most people know what's healthy and what's not for them. And so they want validation. They want reassurance. They want to be heard and listened to. I would say that's like the majority of my practice. Then there's very detail-oriented, like, why am I not getting better? Why am I so sick? That kind of stuff. So as you and I talked about before we started recording, I come from a very kind of traditional academic medical upbringing. What's your best argument? What's your elevator talk to people like me when they say, oh, yeah, integrative medicine, you know, I'm not so sure about that. I veer away from trying to convince people because I think you have to try it to feel it. I don't feel like you can just say this works or this doesn't work. It's almost like a hidden, like emotions. You can't see them. You can't, we hardly even study them, but they're there and they exist. So, you know, I don't need to convince anyone. Like I have people kind of not knocking down the door, but you know, I would say the majority of people get it or want to get it or want a healthier way. And I don't feel like academics I love. I think it's great. You know, I was in academics for a long time. But if you're not into it, it's cool. Like, I think there's value and validation in all things, and it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. There are plenty of people, it sounds like, left out by our current system that they're looking for another way of getting care. Okay, so... I have a question about if you are listening to this and you may not be in Austin, so we can't run off to your practice, but someone's interested. They, they kind of want to know, maybe they have nagging back pain, maybe they have Crohn's disease, whatever. They want integrative approach to their, or holistic approach to their health and well-being. Where do you start to try and figure out where to go and approach yeah. this? I would say you can either Google 
holistic physicians in your area or integrative medicine, or even a lot of people tell me they look at functional medicine. That's how people find me generally through Google uh, or Yelp. But there's also, you know, word of mouth. So you can ask your friends and family. And then there's also, you know, different organizations that have directories. So I graduated from the University of Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine Distance Fellowship. They have a, a directory of their graduates. And then also the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, AIHM, in California. I'm a member there. They have a directory. So there's, there's lots of different ways to find someone. I would say in most metropolitan places, there are multiple practitioners. I was surprised. I live in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is a relatively small market. And I was given a referral to a, I'm not sure if they would consider themselves holistic or integrative, but they do a blood check on the front end and it's a membership type deal. And they're trying to look at the whole person, what it feels like to me. I have not yet done it. I've just heard it from a friend that I signed me and my wife up for to go look at it later this summer. So I'm going to look into it. I found one in Little Rock, so I'm confident that if there's one here, there's probably one in, yeah. in major metro area, right? Right. I've even seen them in small towns. I mean, I drive through Texas, small towns in Texas, mm-hmm. and there's some. They exist there, too. And you have to really, I wouldn't take everything as the Holy Grail. Like, you right. just kind of have to go with your own gut and your intuition on what, what works for you. But, you know, at least getting nutrition guidance or ruling out some major issues would, is helpful. And what are the sort of things that somebody would, like you mentioned nutrition or back pain, what are some of the other things that if someone is suffering from or feels like they could get another look at, what are those kind of list of things that might be qualify them to look for them further? So a lot of people come in for autoimmune diseases. I had a patient in yesterday with inflammatory bowel disease, anxiety, depression, insomnia. These are all things that can be helped in a multimodal fashion, not necessarily one size fits all. Very interesting. I thank you so much for sharing your insight into this integrative medicine, which I was not familiar with that term prior to this. So thank you so much for sharing about your practice and your story. If the audience would like to learn more about you, where can they find you and let us know what's up next in your life? They can find me at ashleymaltzmd.com. It's my first name, A-S-H-L-E-Y, last name, M-A-L-T-Z.M-D.com. Or I'm on Facebook. You can find me there. I do my own marketing, so it's Ah. very spotty. But I'm there. I'm also on Instagram. And then I am starting a really exciting new practice in Houston, Texas, um, in Bel Air, actually. And that's a suburb. And it is going to be an integrative musculoskeletal practice, so orthopedics. I'm partnering up with a well-known orthopedic surgeon, and we are going to be guiding people to become optimized in their athletic capacity and in their, their whole body and mind. So it's really exciting. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Ashley Maltz. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast, and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group, and you can get access by texting the word NEXT to the number 345-345. That's a wrap. This is Dr. Ashley Maltz, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Okay, that's what you said was perfect. Let's do it one more time, and now say it like you remember it this time.
<laughs> you didn't stutter, but it was it was like um, now you know what it is. Put some energy. Okay. Into it. All right. I was Good character like, development. Yeah, there was, and I was like texting. It's like you know I don't know what it is yet. So let's get to yeah. the it part. <laughs> As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.